0: Words of songs. I don't know that there's any such as um, says so much as those three with the three notes in that song. It is well. And if you can uh, agree to that as a believer, it is well with my soul, and you're, uh, you're a long way down the road to success and security in the Lord Jesus Christ. I hope you are. If you have your Bible, you turn it this evening to uh, Hebrews chapter number 11. And uh, this evening, we bring you to the point of uh, Moses getting off to school. We've, uh, for the last few weeks, we've talked about um, how the Lord has worked in his life in an unusual way, and the providence of God has been shown in many ways, in multiple ways, and uh, even shown that sometimes when people pray for deliverance, as Israel did, and uh, the actual deliverer, has shown up, and, uh, and in the case with Moses, he kills a guy, an Egyptian, and the uh, book of Acts chapter 7 says that he assumed they understood that God had called him to be their deliverer. It implies that he thought they would understand that he killed this Egyptian to take care of them, but they understood not. And so, uh, two points about that. Moses was not ready to be the deliverer that God had tending to be. And Israel was not yet ready to be delivered. It's an interesting thing how God works those together. There are many people that ought to be saved, but they're not ready to be saved. And you and I can't make them get ready to be saved. And the point about that is and you couldn't do that any more than and then Moses could have delivered Israel out of Egypt at that particular time. It would take another 40 years for Moses on the back side of the desert to get ready to come back there and to do what he was going to do. And by the way, there's ai don't know that we'll, uh, we'll get to it. Let me see if I can... Uh, um, yes, uh, this is a rabbit trail and I admit it, but it's good. Look if you would in Acts chapter 7. Hold your place at Hebrews 11 because that's where we're going to start. But look over at Acts 7. Remember, it's 7:11. Acts 7 and Hebrews 11 is the two stories of the New Testament about Moses. And in chapter 7 of the book of Acts, it gives you Stephen is speaking. And verse number 25 is the word I used. For he supposed his brethren would have understood how that God by his hand would deliver them, but they understood not. And then verse 26 tells you that the very next day he showed himself unto them as a, as they strove. And they are two Israelites. And as they were striving against one another, he says, Sirs, ye are brethren, why do ye wrong one to the another?" And verse 27, but he that did his neighbor wrong thrust him away and saying, Who made thee a ruler and a judge over us? Uh indication yet still that Israel's not ready to be rescued, as it were. Verse 28, Wilt thou kill me as thou didst the Egyptian yesterday? And then verse 29, Moses flees. And when, verse 30, When forty years were expired, there appeared unto him in the wilderness at Mount Sinai an angel of the Lord, a flame of fire in a bush. And then he tells you when he saw it, he wondered about it, and he investigated, verse 32, saying, I am the God of thy father's, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, the God of Jacob. Then Moses trembled and durst not behold. Verse 23, or 33, then said the Lord to him, Put off thy shoes from thy feet for the place where thou standest is holy ground. And verse 34, note carefully, I have seen, the Lord says, I have seen the affliction of my people which is in Egypt. Notice also, I have heard their groaning and am come down to deliver them. That's a statement the Lord makes. I have come down to deliver them. Then notice the very next phrase. I have come down to deliver them, and now, come, I'll send you. Uh, That's rather fascinating. God comes down, and um, he shows up and says, I've come down to deliver my people. Now, Moses, get your shoes on that you just pulled off and go back. I want you to go back and deliver them. You talk about an interesting um, principle set forth in the scripture. It's very simple. Uh, The Lord could do everything that he's asked us to do. Everything. There's not a single person in this room who has a talent or a trade or a skill that God could not do without you or me. But the amazing thing about it is God in his great grace has chosen to use us. I mean, uh, uh, Moses was educated in the Egyptians' court and was a man of great word and deed and wisdom of the Egyptians. Smart man, I'm sure. But that's not why God chose him. God chose him for a whole different reason. Somebody said it took 40 years to get it in him and it took 40 years in the backside of the desert to get it out of him so he could be nothing. So God could do something with a nobody. That's probably true. Because he surely lost all of his edge about being an Egyptian 40 years in the backside of the desert chasing chasing sheep around. And that's what he did for 40 years. So the thing about it is that um, the education that We often talk about in reference of Moses going to the backside of the desert to uh, God's university to be trained in how to lead a people. Uh, There is something to be said just before you get to that, and hopefully it won't take me long to say it so we can move to the university studies. But the point is this, that you know it to be true and I know it to be true, that uh, there have been young people who went off to college and uh, there have been parents who sent them who, when they found out, What they did when they got there uh, said, uh, that school ruined my kid. Exactly what they'd say. I've heard it, and I've heard it from people at the New Life Baptist Church over the years sit in my office and say to me, I sent them off to school, and they picked up on things that we were against, and things that we did not believe, and things I would not agree to to this day. Uh, They really hurt my kid. They redirected their life. I said it then, and I typically say it now, and I would certainly emphasize it in the case with Moses. The truth is, kids just become more of what they were when they were sent. They just didn't show it till they got there. You see, there's a difference, and Brother Mike made this in his own testimony before his class, concerning what he did first night you were at school and stayed up all night. Now, you know why he would do that? Because the restraints are off of him. Now, he didn't tell us what else he did, and I'm waiting to hear that from the other subject. But the point is this. The thing about it is, when you take restraints off of young people, if they've never had them removed, it won't be the school that did it. It just will be who they are. And sometimes you won't know who they are until you give them the opportunity to be who they are. Who they really are. Not what you want them to be, but who they really are. And that often comes out when all the restraints are pulled back. So the fact of the matter is, in uh, parents talking about schools and how they ruined their children and so forth, um, it's really not true. It's not that they ruined them. It's just that the school opened up the doors and said, now you can be who you are. And they showed us who they were. In Moses' case, that's what uh, he's going to do. He's going to go off to school and to God's university in the backside of the desert. But what's going to be different about it is, His parents, evidently his mother who worked as his nurse, and there's no evidence in the scriptures that she ever stopped being his nurse until he left. And nurse means more than a mother who would breastfeed a child. It means much more than that. It means literally care for every health need. And the ideal of caring for every health need would give you opportunity to be almost like a, a nurse practitioner to your child. And here he is. He leaves the prince or the palace of the Pharaoh when he's 40 years of age. That gave his mother access to him for 40 years. And uh, though he was adopted by, and the Bible indicates the Pharaoh's daughter adopted him, his mother still cared for him. And you will never convince me that his mother did not with every dose of medicine she may have given him or every bit of instruction on how to live healthy and how to eat right, that she didn't also instruct him on the Holy Scriptures. Because God had already dealt with him concerning what he wanted him to do. And that's the point about what Acts chapter 7 says when he thought that his brethren, the other Israelites, would have understood when he killed the Egyptian. Because he had understanding that God had called him to that. He knew this is what his job was to be. And yet they didn't understand that. Interesting thing, God had told him, God had not told Israel. And the fact of the matter is, that's the way it is about a lot of things. You know, God tells a, a person, and in fact, a. a. W. Tozer preaches a whole sermon on uh, God tells the man who cares. The man who cares, God will tell. The man who doesn't care, God won't talk to him about things he's going to do. It's the same thing with Abraham. When he was about to destroy, the angels were going to destroy the city of Sodom and Gomorrah. And the Lord speaks and says, you know, you, you know I can't go down and destroy this city. I, I owe Abraham an explanation. I, I, I know that he'll guide and direct and instruct his family appropriately. I need to tell him what I'm about to do. God says he feels accommodating to Abraham because he knows Abraham is a good man and he owes him an explanation? Sure, because the Bible does indicate that God tells the man who cares. And in this particular case, God had told Moses, you're going to deliver these people. Now, what's interesting about it is when uh, he comes to the backside of the desert and the Lord indicates to him that uh, he had come down for the purpose of delivering his people and then he turns to to Moses and said, now go do it. Uh, Moses already knew God was going to use him to do that, but it seems as if it has shocked him. And so let me back up a bit and show you some of the bases on which all this instruction would have, I believe, hit his heart or how he would have dealt with it. First off, in Hebrews chapter 11, I think much of what uh, life is made up of is issues of decisions. decisions. Everything, uh, every decision you've ever made has affected where you are in your life. Every one of them. You've never made a decision that has not contributed to where you are. With that being said, it's therefore very important that every decision we make and every decision our young people, our children make, that they make them under the guidance of God's word. Instruction of good parents. And one of the things you catch on to very quick, look at chapter number 11 of Hebrews in verse 23. By faith... Moses, when he was born, was hid three months of his parents because they saw that he was a proper child and they were not afraid of the king's commandments. In commandment. verse 23, it starts out that this was by faith. It indicates that uh, Abraham's, uh, uh, Jochebed and Amram were definitely people of faith. And they took God at his word and somewhere along the way God had revealed to them that Moses was going to be different and unique. And he was going to be God's deliverer for Israel. And so they began immediately to nurture him and to culture him so he could be used of God. They didn't culture him so he could be a fitting into the career that they may have chosen for him or some plan they had for his life. He was nurtured and he was cultured to be what God wanted him to be and that was the deliverer for Israel. So his parents understand it. Moses understands it. And one of the things that is important about that is how well will he make decisions? How good will the decisions be that he makes to show that he is really God's leader? Listen to the men in this room. How good a leader you are in your home, is reflected by the decisions you make. How good are your decisions? Are they decisions you have to backtrack on? Do you have to go back and say, Oop, I made a bad one here, we got to re- redo this, this is overdue, or redo, uh, or I need to correct that, change that, alter that. Uh, how often do you have to back up and punt? Decisions. How good your decisions are reflects how good leadership is. So in this case, notice if you would, in Moses' life, he reflects the fact that he was arriving at God's schooling program well-versed in making good decisions. Look at verse number 24. In verse 24, after we establish the fact his parents act by faith, verse 24 says, By faith Moses, when he was come to years, refused. And you ought to underline that because that's one of three decisions he makes In the context of Hebrews chapter 11 that will reflect upon his leadership when he takes over the role as um, the leader of the the Israelites, the 600,000 or better of them who are going to walk out of Egypt and what he does and how he does it. And by the way, uh, you cannot read the five books of the Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. You cannot read the five books of the, of the Old Testament, the first five books, without recognizing when this man spoke, everybody listened. I was, uh, I've was i been reading and have for a long time uh, in morning devotions in the book of Leviticus. Uh, there's 27 chapters, I believe, in Leviticus. And 29 times in that book, in most of those 29, come at the headings of the chapter divisions where it said, And the Lord spoke to Moses. And then the next verse will say, Speak to the children of Israel. And, and Moses spoke. And what it, it tells you what God said and it tells you what Moses did in saying exactly what God told him. There's never a man who walked that close with the Lord who got such direct communication anywhere in the Bible for so much to be said. Everything that's to be done about the priestly tribe of the Old Testament and the priesthood of the believer of the New Testament based upon that premise, the fact is every single bit of it came through Moses. God gave it to Moses, Moses wrote it down, and Moses gave it to the people and the people and especially the Levites. Practiced every word of it. And I mean to tell you that there are details in that that seem almost monotonous to the general mind of a person. Mind general. It just seems like, why did he tell them to do that? Well, I mean, why why did all this have to be so specific? Because God is a God of order and everything about it was with purpose and plan. But Moses made note of it and Moses carried it out to the letter. He made a decision in verse number 24 that he refused to be called the son of the Pharaoh's daughter. Now look, he stayed in the palace. There's no evidence that he left the palace. But he made a decision, I'm not going to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And it's obvious too, if he'd have been uh, really acclaimed to that, that is, if he had really taken that to heart and if that was going to be who he was, that he was going to be the, the, the son, adopted son, of uh, the Pharaoh of Egypt's daughter, he would have not gone out and killed a, an Egyptian. I mean, it's just obvious he would not have done that. I mean, you talk about getting out of favor with your mother, your stepmother in this case, that would be a fast way to do it, go out and kill some of her people. He, he, it was not that, and it was not that he was uh, uh, rude or crude or wrong or in any sense, any disruption to her it didn't show anything about that. he just said i'm not going to be called the son of pharaoh's daughter i know who i am and i don't belong to her i am who i am by the grace of god and the providence of god i am a jew i am an israelite and i'm under the providence of god and he's worked in my life i know who i am and that's an amazing thing because that caused him to make a decision about refusing here's the problem Most people who don't make the decision about refusing certain things are people who don't know who they are. You say, that doesn't seem to make sense. It doesn't to me either. When you've come to faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, you should really take on the characteristics of the believer found in the New Testament. What it says a believer ought to do, you ought to do. What it says a believer ought not to do, you ought not to do. What happens is when you get Christians doing what Christians ought not do, you get people confused, and what happens is they don't know what to refuse, and they don't know what to include. So there's a confusion that creates the whole thing. Uh, Yesterday, my family and I were uh, at a restaurant. And uh, uh, one of our grandchildren, um, my granddaughter from Michigan, Reagan, went into a restroom. And in this restroom, she came back out and she told us that there was a man in the women's restroom. Well, everybody was concerned about that. And uh, I was going to tell the management and uh, um, maybe fearing I might make a scene or something. It was discouraged among my family that you don't go do this. You're not the guy for this job. I sat down. I just sat and we watched. Then her mother got up and went to the restroom and came back and reiterated, hmm, I believe there may well be a man in the ladies' restroom. She came out. We sat there for a few minutes and uh, as we sat there for a few minutes, there came out two people, two women. One of them would have passed for any man in the room. A lesbian looked more butch than any butch I've ever seen in all of my ministry. I would have not wanted to face her in a dark alley. I mean, her hair was sweeping, and she was she was macho person, and uh, you couldn't have missed it. If you'd have seen this person over a stall or whatever, you'd have sworn this was a man, but it wasn't. What's the problem here? She doesn't know who she is. She's a woman. She was born that way, and she should be that way. But she did not make a decision. She did not refuse to go along with what her own feelings at one point may have been. Everybody has feelings about things, but you're not supposed to live on feelings. You're not supposed to say, well, I sometimes have this feeling for this other person of this same sex. I don't care how many feelings you have like that. I've had feelings about robbing a bank and getting a million dollars and high-telling it to Cuba or something. But that doesn't mean that's the right thing to do. A lot of people have crazy feelings. But you don't work and you don't operate on feelings. You step back and say, who am I? What am I supposed to be like? How am I supposed to operate? What's my like supposed to be? Not what my depraved nature would encourage me to be. What does the Bible say that I should be as a man? And what should I be as a woman? And how should I react in those roles? Not going around and letting other people impress you or, or put pressure on you that if you have this feeling, you need to express it. And you need to let it go. And you need to embrace it. And you should not run from it. And you should act on it hogwash. If everybody acted on feelings that they have that are not right, you haven't seen chaos till there would be chaos in America. So what's this woman done? Well, this woman who now looks like a man and acts like a man, dresses like a man, combs her hair like a man, does all the features that a man is, creates confusion about everybody around them. And the reason is because she doesn't know who she really is. She's letting other people push her around and make her think she is something that she is not. When she stands before the God of the universe, He will judge her as a woman. And she will rise or fall on the basis of that. Not on something else. And that judgment will be based basically on a relationship with Jesus Christ. And how she should have embraced who she really was and she could have in Christ. So I say to you that Moses made a decision early on and his decision was he made it in his heart of hearts and he lived it out with his life. He refused. The word carries with it the ideal of expression. It says he would not let people call him the son of Pharaoh's daughter. If somebody would say to him, Oh, you're the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And he would say, I am not the son of Pharaoh's daughter. And my guess is, and it's only a guess, he would say I'm a Hebrew of the Hebrews. I'm a son of a Levite and my mother was a Levite and I'm a son in the family of the Levites of the Hebrew nation. The fact is he makes a big point about that and he uses this reference about he refused. And and by the way, what's interesting uh, um, that when he made this decision would uh, be a, Parallel to the passage over in uh, in uh, Exodus chapter number two, where he came to this decision of refusal uh, when he came of age in the case in this case he was forty years of age, and when he came out to deal with the Egyptian and the Hebrew controversy, and when he killed the Egyptian, it was in those stages that he would come to a conclusion that By not accepting this role as the son of the Pharaoh's daughter, uh, he was moving on his uh, delivering Israel. And that's when the move obviously was going to cause trouble and maybe even get him imprisoned. And so he flees from there. So the thing about it is uh, all of our young people may be at a stage, and I say young people, those are not teens or above, they come to a point where somewhere along the way they're going to have to make some decisions of refusals. It's going to be important that parents help them to know that there comes a point in your life where you need to make a decision. You can't live on my decision. You can't live on uh, second-hand faith. You have to operate in your own faith, and you operate from it, not mine. And what happens is, but you also have to understand that you have to live with the consequences of your decisions. So if some things in your life, when you come of age... You need to refuse. You just need to refuse. You need to refuse everything that does not incorporate and honor the Lord Jesus Christ. Everything, anything. Just refuse it. Don't let anybody sell your bill of goods to get you into something that has no place for Jesus Christ. Second thing is absolutely, unequivocally, uh, turn from every sense, perception, intent, incline of sin. Don't let yourself get entanglement with any count of sin, any kind of it, any particle of it. Just stay away from it. Refuse to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. Because remember, in the... Bible reading, you we come across and study the scriptures, you often hear that writers um, of years past would refer to Egypt as the world. That is, uh, Egypt would represent the world. And you'd have Moses, who was born into that environment, refused to go along with it. Just like we are refusing to go along with the world and we're not to love the world and not, neither the things that are out of the world or in the world, Moses was faced with the same thing because, uh, again, I repeat, you couldn't make it any better in the day that Moses lived to be a part of the Pharaoh's court and the palace. I mean, he had it made. Uh, he had the world on a, on a downhill swing. I mean, he was he was making some great worldly progress. And his future would have had no end to it. I mean, he could have had anything he wanted. He was was in a prized position. And I say to you that he came to realize that he could get this on a temporary basis. But he would terminate any hope of eternal value to it. So he had a choice to make. And he refused, refused the world side of it. And that's like cutting off the checks. I will not be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter. I refuse to receive whatever benefits that gives to me. I would rather go with the Lord, serve Him, and be His deliverer, even though it's His people that are in slavery. I'd rather work with the slaves than I would the people who are enslaved in the palace and don't know it. And it was Pharaoh who was enslaved. Pharaoh didn't understand the plight that he was really in. He didn't understand that you can have all the goods of this whole universe and all the wealth in every mind, but you'll lose it all and you'll leave it all, all behind. And uh, the tombs in uh, Egypt, the pyramids, I mentioned it a few uh, Sundays ago in the bulletin, that of all the seven wonders of the world, that's the only one that's left. It's as if God made it to stand because he wanted everybody to remind themselves of this. You may outlive everybody else. You may may accumulate a ton of stuff. But somewhere there's an entombment for you and me. And we'll fill it. And Pharaoh filled his. And if Moses had gone that route, he'd fill one of those too. And the way it is, God buried him. And nobody knows where he is. Oh, I mean, I'm talking about his bones. Nobody can worship him. and Nobody can put a marker on his grave because God buried him. And get it, I believe, with intent because even the law, we don't call it the Old Testament law. We call it Mosaic law. How so? Because God gave it to Moses and Moses gave it to the people and you and I have over the years identified Moses with it. That's just the way it is. The Ten Commandments. Who handled them first? Moses did Who carried the first plates of them down? Written by the finger of God. Who did that? Moses did that. I say to you that he was very special to the Lord and I believe he knew it, that he was hand-picked for this task. But what you'll miss in it, if you're not careful, is the Bible itself declares he is the meekest man that ever lived. Now you get a hold of that. I mean, just think if you had the audience with God that he had, and the occasion to speak with him, and uh, even to tell God, show me your glory. I mean, how many men do you think ever told God that? Show me your glory, God. Um, maybe some told him and never lived to tell us, but God told him, "Will you put your, you, you get into the clevis of the rock and I'll put my hand over you and then I'll pass by and you can see my backside, but you won't see my face. God accommodated him. God answered his request. Show me your glory. okay? You get into the cleft of the rock, I'll put my hand over you, you won't see my face in the light that it reflects. But as I pass, you can see my backside. Here, man, God listens and, that, and Moses speaks. I mean, who do you know would do that? But my point about it is, that made Moses different and unique. But it started back when he was under his mother's tutelage and teaching and ministry of her. His parents were people of faith. Every parent in this room has an unbelievable golden key to the heart of every child that they've ever brought into the world. And those children can grow up under the nurture and the admonition of the Lord, or they can grow up and pretty well just let go, do what you want to do, live like you want to live. You know, let the world push you around, shove you around, put you into their mold, whatever. Or you can wait for the will of God and believe that God has something for your life and wants to use you for his glory if you'll cooperate with him and refuse the things that the world may offer you. That's exactly what Moses does and he refuses to be called the Pharaoh's daughter. Number two in verse 25 the Bible indicates that uh, he makes this uh, choice, the, the, I call it the nature of his decision, was choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Uh, it's interesting that um, this choosing was uh, something that cost him something, meaning um, most people, When they have choices, we often hear the phrase used, they would choose the lesser of two evils. And that's not what Moses did. Moses chose the worst of those, choosing rather to suffer affliction with God's people than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Most agree that he's talking about what in pleasures of sin that he would enjoy if he had stayed under the care of the Pharaoh's daughter and accepted his role as the stepson of the Pharaoh. He would have had the pleasures of sin. He could have enjoyed all the pleasures of sin that it had to offer. But on the other side of the coin, he'd been called to lead and to take out the Israelites out of slavery from the Egyptians. And that was going to start out with afflictions. And not so much that that Moses himself would be under those afflictions because the Bible doesn't mention much about Moses per se himself suffering. But what it says of the text is he's choosing rather, choosing rather to suffer affliction with the people of God. It really carries the ideal of getting under their burden, understanding their plight, their problem, and he's willing to go suffer with them Rather than to go over here to the palace and enjoy all the pleasures of sin that would be handed to him if he just stayed status quo. Keep your mouth shut, keep your nose clean, and you're going to go far in the Egyptian palace. That's the idea. Moses said, No, I don't want to be called the Pharaoh's daughter and a son of the Pharaoh's daughter, and I do not want to stay over in the palace and enjoy all the pleasures of sin for a season. And that's important to note. He recognized this will only last so long. And that's the way it is with the things of this world. And uh, next Sunday's message, it's a big issue in the Scriptures. There's a reason why you don't love the world. Because it ain't going to last. Next Sunday we deal with that. So don't attach your heart to something that's just going to pass away. Don't fall in love with something that's just going to pass away. And yet in this particular case, people would say from a worldly standpoint of a business decision, they'd say this guy, Moses, was stupid. I mean, look what he had. Look what he gave up. And look what he passed over to get suffering and with the affliction of God's people when he could have enjoyed the pleasures of sin for a season. But he also knows he would have not pleased God in that. What's the pleasure of the Lord? And what is the decision I should make to reflect that pleasure? What should you think of when you come to a decision? Should you not ask yourself, Will this decision, if I make this part of this decision, will this please the Lord? Or is it, will this please me? If you just please yourself, you'll see to it that much of what you choose and what you'll get will be short-lived. If you make a choice for the Lord's side of the equation, you'll see you'll probably get the world that you should get, that is, the world that he gives you and offers you, and all the blessings to go with it. But if you choose that narrow thing that entertains the pleasures of sin for a season, it'll just be a short-lived thing, like a fuse on a stick of dynamite. It'll fizzle, and if somebody pulls out that cord, it won't even go off with a bang, and you'll miss everything that you thought you'd get. It's sad to watch people in this world and hear their stories on the newscast. They work so hard to get so rich and die so poor. There's a program they take care of now, and it's about the people who won the lottery. I've watched a number of them. I think I'm up to about eight eight different people over the years who've won the lottery. Out of the eight, not a single one of them testified to being happy. After they got all their money, after they began to spend it, they said, and they always give them a chance to say, would you do it over again? The eight that I have seen have said, I would not. It's wrecked my life, my family's life, and my relationship in my community. I would not do it again. Now, I'm saying to you, that's no surprise. We knew that. You know, what would it profit a man if he gains the whole world, if he gets caught up in that? And, oh, by the way, none of the eight people had any religious relationship. Not a one of them. They're often asked on those programs, did you give any money to charitable organizations or churches? And in the eight cases we had, they said, no, we had no church affiliation, no church relationship, and no charitable organization to which we gave. We gave to some friends, we gave to some family, and we gave to some local businesses that we were helped through years ago, and that's the extent of our giving. Now, the point about that is to say this, they they thought it was going to change their life for good forever. Because you got, many of them were more than, um, I think the highest was 12 point something million, or one was uh, 60 million, maybe. The highest was 60, 60 million. And they thought that would just, they'd never have another worry. They found out that it created 60 million worries. And one of them said, it seemed for every million there was a problem. And some which ruined our lives. Two of them, lost family members over it. I'm talking inner circle family. One family lost a son and the other lost a a girl, a daughter in the family. They have no relationship today and it was all over the distribution of the money within the family. It just poisons everything. And the world just just keeps on chugging down this same road. I mean, it's just like a jogger going for a, a, a finish line. They just still go for it because something inside of them makes them choose the wrong thing. He did not. He chose rather to suffer affliction with the people of God than to enjoy the pleasures of sin for a season. Then the third one, and quickly we'll close with this one, he uh, makes the point down in verse number 27, he says, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible. Now this is one of those uh, kind of statements that's rather unique and and unusual in that uh, he forsook Egypt. We knew he left Egypt and he went over to Midian. You know that. That's where he fled to when he killed the Egyptian. But the text says, By faith he forsook Egypt, not fearing the wrath of the king. Indication is that... uh, he didn't care what the king was going to do or what he might do and so forth. And in the book of Exodus, it indicates there was some concern, and maybe anxiety. The word in the Hebrew uh, can be translated in a number of words. Uh, fear may not be the primary word, but it would be close that he had concerns about what the king would do. But this text of Scripture says uh, that's not really the basis of his forsaking, which has led some to believe He left Egypt so he could get the preparation that he needed to come back and deliver Israel because that's what he knew he was supposed to do in the first place. That may be true. There's no way of really dissecting it. It's just to say that he forsook Egypt not fearing the wrath of the king for he endured. And this is what's rather interesting to see and seeing him who is invisible. Well, the... One who is invisible is uh, the one we sing about on Sunday morning, invisible, immortal, God only wise, as the book or one song has it. And the fact is that would be who he's talking about here, but it's not surprising to us in verse 26. He uses a reference, esteeming, verse 26 says, esteeming or counting or balancing the reproach of Christ greater riches than the treasures in Egypt, for he had respect unto the recompense of the reward, and recompense is a Hebrew word that can be translated promise. Somewhere, somehow, Moses had gotten a promise that there would be a redeemer someday. And that Redeemer would be the Lord Jesus Christ. Now, uh, in the Old Testament, there's no allusion to his particular name. But here, in the New Testament, under inspiration of Scripture, the Holy Spirit gives it that here Moses esteemed the reproach of Christ, greater riches. What he's meaning is he'd rather suffer with God's people as they were in relationship to Jesus Christ ultimately. He'd rather suffer with them that he would to enjoy all the pleasures and treasures that Egypt had to offer, and he would do it because he had respect, he had uh, honor to be shown to, he had a, a noble respect for the promises that he had heard, and he believed them. It's like telling somebody in the Old Testament that one day Jesus Christ is going to come to earth, and he's not just going to deliver Israel from Egypt, he's going to deliver man from his sin. And Moses would say, hey, I'll suffer whatever I need to now so that we can see that happen later because I believe the promise. That's what he's saying. And what's amazing about that is that here you have Moses. He's uh, getting ready to go into his educational process on the back side of the desert. And he's leaving Egypt. He's forsaking Egypt, turning it in his back view mirror, rear view mirror, and uh, he's going to go and prepare himself, as it were, for whatever God has planned for him for the rest of his life. And he does this by uh, enduring all this as seeing him who is invisible. He's invisible. He's indescribable. uh, He is uh, someone who, uh, the only way you can embrace him is by faith. And that's the exciting thing about it that I don't know that we give Moses enough credit for the faith that he had, and his mother helped nurture, and no doubt his father did in their home early on. And the fact is that that nurturing of that faith will get him through what he's about to get through when he gets to the backside of the desert and stays there 40 years, and then when he leaves there, You'll go through the painstaking presentations to the Pharaoh, and the Pharaoh will uh, plead, I'm not going to let Israel go. And you go through the ten plagues, and Moses has to go down that whole route. All of that has to be done. And yet he's a patient, faithful man, because just like he says here in this verse of Scripture, he endured as seeing him who's invisible. Sometimes you have a task to do and uh, it can be rather daunting. You know, you have a responsibility to fulfill and, and if you happen to be rather tired in the first place, it's awfully easy to get uh, disappointed, discouraged, and almost to a state of being defeated. And interestingly enough in this, with all that Moses was going to be called on to do, there is no hint anywhere along the way that he balked. I think that people of faith are like that. People of faith just don't look at uh, circumstance and situation. Uh, They don't even consider their own body and how tired or weary it is. They just strike out and say, you know, I believe this is what God wants me to do and I'm going to do it and do it faithfully to the very end. I say that Moses is one of the great men of the Bible who testifies to a consistent walk of faith. And um, he's willing to endure the affliction of God's people to suffer with them. He's willing to take the uh, reproach of Jesus Christ on himself. And I say that in decision making, that's a a big one. That you and I and all of our young people grow up with an understanding that uh, you need to speak up. I recommend to you that uh, first time you meet neighbors, that you tell them, that you have placed your faith in the finished work of the Lord Jesus Christ first time you meet them not the second time the first time you meet them you set the record straight my name is Rick Henry I pastor the New Life Baptist Church and I've trusted Christ as my personal Savior that way there's no questions asked they, they know you're a Christian they know what your in this case my profession is and they're not going to invite me over to their home and invite me to do something that would be possibly a contrary statement to that. They're going to know right up front who I am. Now, if you wait and you try to witness to them later, their position may intimidate you or uh, what you've heard about them after the fact may scare you. And you may decide you don't want to do that because you may want to try to hang on to their friendship. And you're fearful if you tell them who you are in Christ. They may say, ooh, I don't know about that. That's a little weird. Maybe I, you and I shouldn't have a relationship as a neighbor. You know, Best thing to do is for you to tell them right up front, I'm a Christian, I place faith in Christ, and as I do, I have one of the tracks from the church, and then say, let me give you this track, invite you to our services, and that track will tell you what I've done in trusting Christ and how I've received Him as my personal Savior. And if you have any questions, I'd be glad to answer them for you. I did that to the neighbors who moved in across the street from us, and... Uh, Without a doubt, they're the most unfriendly people I have ever met in my life, and um, I waved at them. Um, I don't know, maybe twenty times, and I never even got a. I never even got a finger up. I never got a thumb up. I never got anything up. They never even acknowledged me when I went by, even though I'd raise my hand or I'd stick it out over the hood of the van and wave, and so nothing, nothing. My wife and I were out the other day, and I think because she was sitting in the passenger seat with uh, where the sun shining in, they could see that I, she was there uh, when I waved. I think the guy did this. I think it went off his hand on his right hand. I believed it moved about two centimeters. You know, yeah, uh, real friendly people, gracious people. Now that's after the fact that I've gone to them and offered them a list of all the neighbors and all the phone numbers, their addresses, who they are, where they work, and if you need to get a hold of them anytime, you can call these numbers and get them. Well, we call it a neighborhood watch type thing and I always try to get the new neighbors and I take them a, a track from the church, invite them to the church and tell them who I am and if you ever need me I'm glad to help. Well these folks obviously don't want any part of that. That's okay. That's fine. I don't mind bearing any reproach that they have about the Lord Jesus Christ because he's born a whole lot more for me. And I say to you, the best time to do it is the first time up. Just tell them flat up who you are. And if they don't like that, you won't have to worry about it. They won't make contact with you thereafter. And I don't know whether these people ever will, but if they do, I'm going to stand at the ready to bear witness as a helper or assistant in any way I can to be a blessing to them. Because um, I don't mind, and like Moses, I'm willing to bear the afflictions along with other of God's people in bearing witness for Christ if that's what it takes. I hope you are too. Let's pray together, and as always on Sunday evening or late, we won't have an invitation. We'll pray and you'll be gone. So let me ask you to stand with us if you would. <clears throat> Our Father in heaven, we do thank you for this man Moses, and thank you for the determination and dedication that he's shown on every turn concerning his life being yielded to your will for it and thank you father for the way that he sets before us an example making decisions to be not called the son of the pharaoh's daughter like we should make refusals to be identified or associated with things that are unscriptural or ungodly things that in any way might smack of a denial of the Lord Jesus Christ. Help us to know what to refuse. But in choosing, Father, help us to also know what we should choose as refusing has a negative connotation and choosing has a positive connotation. Help us to know which is which. Help us to be willing, Father, to choose even if it means suffering on our part that we might do your part and carry it out well. I pray, Father, too, in the issue of forsaking, There may be things as we talked about in the morning worship service that need to be forsaken. And if it's a truth, then Father, help us to do it and help us not to look back. And help us like Moses not to fear what the king will do, what the devil will do to try to get back at us when we begin to try to live a holy and consecrated life to the Lord Jesus Christ. And no doubt, he'll not stand by and lose one that he thought he had without trying something to trip us up. So help us to be willing to pay the price, whatever that may be. So I thank you for Moses, and I thank you for the example he sets before us. And we know that he's not sinless, but we do know that you used him mightily. And oh, that you might use us as individual believers here at the New Life Baptist Church in such a wonderful way to impact our city and our county and our country and our world. I pray you'll use us as you use this good man. Thank you for our people and their faithfulness today. And I'd ask you again, please show our people faithful favor as they've been faithful to you in serving you this day here on the July 4th weekend. Show them favor in many ways. And pray, Father, that you have your fingerprints all over it. And I pray you'll honor them and bless them and use them. And pray you'll give them a good rest tonight and a good day tomorrow. Help them to have a safe 4th of July. And I pray you'll get us back here for the Wednesday services to worship you once again. All these things we ask in Christ's name and for his sake and his glory. Amen.